Welcome again to the second episode of the Friant Watering Hole podcast. Uh, we had so much fun doing the first one that we decided, what the hell, let's do another one and keep this thing going. And um, you may remember the reason that we're uh, venturing into this uh, medium is to provide our uh, growers, uh, constituents, uh, people from the community here in the valley and, and beyond an opportunity to hear from opinion makers, decision makers, influencers in the, in the Friant division and elsewhere about what's going on with our water supply and farming in general and they mix in a little bit of politics and a little humor as well, gives us an opportunity to have a, a long-form discussion with some really interesting guests. And today, we will not disappoint. Our guest today is a gentleman named Matt Leiter, who is the uh, one of the uh, board members at the Friant Water Authority, but that's not all he does. He does lots of other things. Um, and I wanna give him a chance to introduce himself now. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Johnny. Glad you uh, agreed to participate today. I know it's uh, unusual. Uh, as far as I can tell, the Friant Watering Hole podcast is the first of its kind, especially around here. I know others are venturing into the medium, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to sit down with me to talk about a few things. Uh, it's worth noting that today uh, we are sitting in the conference room of Locks Management Incorporated in Southern Porterville off of Teapot, uh, Teapot Dome Drive or Avenue and that we're thankful for the host today. So once again, Matt, uh, welcome to the show. Um, I'd like to first uh, talk about, just hear from you about who you are, what you do, um, to give uh, our listeners a chance to uh, just understand who we're talking to today. So tell, tell us a little bit about yourself today. Well, so I'm a fifth generation California orange grower. Uh, my family started in Orange County and then moved up here in the late 50s. I'm a second generation Teapot Dome Water Board Director. And uh, originally, my mother's from here, grew up in the business, but she moved to, uh, went to school in Cal Poly, met my dad, they moved to Santa Barbara. So I grew up in Santa Barbara, spent a lot of summers here and always enjoyed it. So believe it or not, I moved from Santa Barbara to Porterville. Um, I was diagnosed with dyslexia pretty early on, so I, I know I got it backwards. But um, yeah, I've been here doing this for 12, 15 years, so. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting life here in the Valley that most people outside of the Valley don't quite uh, understand, but once they get to learn about it, they have a lot more respect for what happens here and how difficult, uh, how difficult it is just to make things work here. But farmers in the Valley are, are very unique breed because they find a way to persevere, they find a way to adapt, and I'm sure it's no different here. So um, now you are, of all the board members at the Friant Water Authority, you're pretty unique in that, probably in many ways you're unique, <laughs> but uh, uh, you're unique in that uh, when I first met you, you were working um, in po directly in politics. Uh, and uh, we didn't really know each other a whole lot back then. We've obviously gotten to know each other a lot more since, um, since my coming to work for Friant, but um, you're unique in that you worked directly in the legislature. Can you talk about that experience and how that's molded or shaped your thought process and decision-making on, on both the Friant board and the other various boards you serve on? Yeah, so I, as I said, I grew up in Santa Barbara and moved to Chico State and um, 
always had an interest in agriculture, but also had an interest in politics. And a poli-sci degree didn't require any math, so I went that route and kind of minored in agriculture. Um, and I got involved in college Republicans there. And um, subsequently, after graduating, I went to work for Rick Keene, who was a state assembly member, who actually was partners with Kevin McCarthy and helped reform workman's comp. Gosh, I don't know how many years ago that was, but anyways, and then Rick Keene turned out and I went to work for Dan Logue, his successor. I started as his campaign manager. Um, and when he got elected, he opted not to hire me for a, a district representative. He thought I was too outspoken, I think, and which Johnny, I'm, I don't know why you I, think I don't, that. I don't but... know where he got that from, but anyways. So at the time, uh, I was kind of looking for a job, and Tom McClintock was getting elected that same year to Congress up there. And um, I watched ballots being counted for Tom, kind of waiting for it to find out when he was gonna, if he was going to get elected, and then hope for a field rep job there. Uh, but I think at the time, the Republicans weren't in control of Congress, so he had a very, very minimum budget and could only afford like one field rep and couldn't afford a full-time field rep, so he hired some retired guy. Anyways, so about then I was kind of getting burned out in politics and wanted to get back to agriculture, back to my roots, but um, because I had the poli-sci degree, nobody up north would hire me, so, and at that, that time my uncle... Uh, was looking for somebody to give him a hand down here, so I went to work. Went to work for him, and then eventually moved down to Porterville. I think a year after that. So, and then from there, got involved in California Citrus Mutual, which my grandfather was a founding member of, and my uncle was also my other uncle was a board member of. So, I was a third generation CCM director. Uh, got involved in the government relations pack. Uh, side of CCM. That's where you and I, I think squared off a couple of times. And then um, my grandfather got off the water board, the Teapot Dome water board, and um, I took his seat. And um, kind of since then, it's been like on the fast track of being in the water business, which is a daunting task in itself. I mean, hell, I think we could all use get a doctorate in this line of work. Yeah, it is a, uh, this line of work is a, it's, it's a, it's very important and it's a heck of an education. It's, uh, you're, you are uh, exposed to so many things coming from so many different angles, from so many different sides of the country, from so many different viewpoints that uh, it's pretty remarkable for board members like at Friant, at the Friant Water Authority to distill all the information that comes in from all the different sources, from staff and elsewhere consultants, and make decisions. But that's why you're there. And so um, I think the experience of, um, especially your experience in, in, in working with um, either candidates or running for office or elected officials, so much of what they do and the actions that they take or don't take in Sacramento or Washington affect day-to-day -day operations on your ranch or at, uh, water supply or water operations and so um, you know having the insight into how uh, members of Congress or members of the legislature process things or 
some, the way that they have to they have to take so many inputs too from different constituencies and make decisions. So it's having that experience is I think it's valuable just to know what the the the, the role of the elected officials, the process that they go through to come to make decisions. I mean, I think it's no real surprise that for the most part, um, um, there's, there's, you know, stagnation and there's a lot of frustration in terms of policy making and policy changes. And that's, um, you know, water is a very political subject, um, but, um, but um, it gives you really some insight into how difficult it is for some of them to make decisions because uh, you make one decision here and it you know pisses off another group over there and so it's uh, for them it's easy for many elected officials just to say nope I'm not going to make a decision just because it that's easier but uh, your job and my job and others at Friant is to is to advocate for those decisions and to push 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 and so I think having that's a long way of say, saying having your experience I think is very valuable to to the Friant Water Authority um, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, recently the uh, Teapot Dome, um, which is the district that you uh, you're elected to represent, um, and you represent uh, them at the Friant Water Authority level? Um, uh, about a year ago, Teapot Dome changed from uh, decided to join. Uh, the Friant Water Authority. You want to walk through that process? Uh, I don't want to get maybe too far into the weeds here, but you want to walk through that process and, and so the listeners know kind of how you guys came about that decision. So we got, you know, we got the band back together. Um, so when I got on the Friant or the Teapot Dome Water Board, we were members of South Valley Water Association, which came about, you know, during the big breakup of Friant Water Authority, which at the time I thought was a necessary thing to do. It kind of humbled everyone and we and we could start over and rebuild but as I sat on the board of teapot and just as the kid director you know who was just trying to drench himself in as much information as he could started going to the South Valley meetings and started going to Friant meetings I, I saw the value that there was in the Friant Water Authority as opposed to the South Valley Water Authority Water Association, but the problem was, is I was just one director, and the rest of the board was old, not old guys, but guys that had been in it for a long time and still had a lot of hard feelings, and I, you know, advocated, I said, hey, maybe we should check this out, kick the tires, they didn't want to really do anything about it, I said, okay, that's fine, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll go to all these meetings if I can, and just kind of get that information, so um, then, our then board president, uh, decided to step down as president and he thought it was time for the younger generation to take over and I looked at that as an opportunity to uh, get more involved and find out you know where our money as a home board water district was better spent and I saw there's a, a value Friant to be sitting at the table with the guys that are actually controlling the water how much we're getting what they're advocating at the state level and at the fed level because at the end of the day if we don't have any water we don't have any trees or row crops or anything and that's you know, as much this is i was telling somebody the other day this has turned into a full-time job i have two full-time jobs i'm a farm manager running spray rigs and mechanical pruning equipment and farming for absentee investors and myself and i'm also president of water board i i split my time basically between my job that pays me and then the job that i was elected to do and I, 
there's too much at stake to just kind of have a lackadaisical approach to it. So um, I decided with the blessing of my board, I mean, and that took six months to make us get, get the change. And we had a, it was a pretty easy vote. I mean, it was a, it was a four to one vote. We had just had one guy that would, that didn't believe in it. And that's, that was okay. It was his right. And, um, but since then, I think we're at the best spot because since we've moved over, we now have a GSA that we have to manage. And I'd sit on that GSA board representing Teapot Dome. And that GSA had to make agreements with the Front Water Authority. So sitting on both boards was helpful because I had the insight as opposed to um, sitting at the South Valley board where you're just getting the information secondhand and it's, uh, or third hand, and it's, you know, a month or two late. And the way I equated it to my board, which is primarily orange growers, is it's like California Citrus Mutual versus Sunkist or Sun Pacific or Paramount. California Citrus Mutual, being South Valley, can tell Sunkist what, how they feel they should run their marketing organization, but at the end of the day, that's all they can do is just tell them. They can't run it. So if you want to change something, you got to sit on the board of the, of the guys in charge, and that's where, that's where I found the value of Friant is I can sit on that board and I can steer or at least advocate on behalf of Teapot Dome, that this is what we need to do, and this is where Teapot Dome sits, and believes we need to, which direction we need to move. So, yeah, yeah, I uh, pre- I think the listeners will appreciate hearing that, and um, I know that I and many others at Brian appreciate having you around the table um, because you have a, a very direct way of. Um, That's a nice making, way of putting it. Well, I mean, <laughs> we could. Pro- it's our podcast, so we, you know, I'd be happy to talk about uh, the, the the slogan that you're most known for, uh, which is "shit or get off the pot." That is a, uh, uh, you know, still waiting on my plaque at the Teapot Dome pumping station. Well, you never know what, what's in. The maybe, maybe, maybe when you guys rebuild it. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to get into. You touched a little bit in the next segment. We're going to get into uh, some of the GSA stuff you talked about with Eastern Thule and Bryant. So I appreciate the. Uh, the tee up of that. So in the next segment, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to dive into more deeply some water issues and some local um, uh, uh, decision making and some um, uh, issues that are we're working on with uh, our neighbors, uh, both in the Sigma world and other and elsewhere. Where of course our guest today, Matt Leiter, is involved very heavily in those. So it's very appropriate to talk to him about these. So after the break, uh, get ready to hear about some water. You're listening to the Friant Watering Hole. Uh, I'm Johnny Amaral. I'm your host. I'm here today in Porterville at Locks Management Incorporated with our special guest, Matt Leiter. See you next. is starting with, look, the water shortages in this state are caused by policy decisions. Uh, the fact that the uh, weather year is dry and there's not a lot of water, that's weather. Uh, but the fact that hundreds of thousands of prime farmland this year are going to be left fallowed or ripped out of the state, uh, in this state be ripped out, and the farm-based communities in the state throughout that will be left with little to no clean drinking water, that is caused by policy decisions. That's a water availability issue, uh, not just weather, okay? Because in the early 1900s, our elected leaders 
had a vision to keep farming and communities sustainable in the San Joaquin Valley, which is home to the most productive farmland in the world uh, and frankly feeds much of the world. Several public work projects were constructed then to overcome this water shortfall. Uh, and, and really what it was trying to stop was an overuse of groundwater. Groundwater has always been the backstop uh, when we didn't have enough surface water. And so we've had to add surface water and that was done with these facilities in the early 1900s. Now the decisions from frankly, Washington DC, the decisions from Sacramento over the past 30 years, these decisions about how water is managed has just turned this water system that was once the envy of the world uh, into this confusing mess of regulations. Uh, and like the Congressman pointed out, we used to be able to withstand five years of drought. Uh, in fact, we have the facilities in place right now to withstand five years of drought, but as it is, as we're, as we're being forced to manage the system today can withstand about one, maybe two. Uh, so at some point, if common sense doesn't take over, this horrible reality is going to become a permanent future. Uh, and implementing sensible solutions are going to be too late. Why will they be too late? Because people are going to have to leave. Their farms are going to be gone permanently. Uh, and communities are going to have to turn to leave somewhere other than the San Joaquin Valley. So we've got to turn the ship. Uh, it's got to start with policies on how we operate existing water infrastructure. We need to operate existing water infrastructure better, and we need to build new water infrastructure where it's needed. You just heard some testimony provided uh, recently to the members of Congress, uh, a number of members of Congress by Jason Phillips, the CEO of the Friant Water Authority. Uh, it's that time of year again when everybody starts thinking, everybody in D.C. and Sacramento starts thinking and talking about uh, drought, why we're here, what's happening, how could it be this way. Um, sometimes the, the truth is a, are very inconvenient truths for people who are in decision or in the decision-making uh, realm as it relates to water supply in California because in many cases the, the solutions to these problems to actually implement them are not, are not hard. Um, getting them passed and getting them through all the political objectives, that's what's, that's what's difficult and that's what's kind of plagued this area for really for the better part of 30 years. And so we're dealing with all that inertia now. Um, you know, for 20 years there's been, um, for more than 20 years, there's been projects that have been discussed. Um, uh, hand wringing has taken place over it. There's been all kinds of discussion about uh, building on site or on stream and off stream reservoirs these things have, these discussions have been going on for decades yet nothing gets built and then we wonder why um, after you know one or two years of drought um, you know the entire system is in a tailspin and so um, again the solutions are not difficult it's the process and getting these things enacted that are and so um, Matt I'd like to just hear from you. I think the listeners would like to hear from you about, um, and this could probably go on forever, but uh, what about this system and this process of, you've got you know, the legislative branch, the executive branch, you've got unelected boards and bureaus like, um, like the State Water Resources Control Board. What about this frustrates you the most, this water, this water crisis? What about it frustrates you the most? I think what 
frustrates me the most is the government, whether it be the state or fed, believing they know how to manage my water better than I do. I pay the bills for it. I pay for the conveyance. I do all the legwork or I employ, you know, the Front Water Authority or whoever to run it. And at the same and on tight water years, because it does not rain sometimes and doesn't snow enough, and so we get short, we spin our wheels trying to reinvent this wheel. Meanwhile, that's the government is telling us we have to we have to do a better job, but we're going to flush billions of gallons of water into a what they think is an ecosystem, but in reality, the delta is nothing more than a series of canals moving around islands for a bait fish that was introduced here a hundred years ago. And so it, it, the downstream effect of that causes this hard, these hardships that we're in. And we're out there trying to save three or four smelt or whatever endangered species of the day it is, only to put them in a truck and move them to a place where they won't get sucked up by a pump but this the way the state operates and the way the fed operates environmentally it's not working and they keep throwing money at it and keep throwing money at it and thinking it, and beating their heads against the wall i don't even think they know they're beating their heads against the wall um thinking something's going to change or we have to do we have to hold water at lake shasta for cold water for for temperature control for fish that may or may not go up the river to spawn um, it's just, it's ludicrous. Meanwhile, we're drying out here and we're employing millions of people and generating billions of dollars to the state economy. And all the while people in Los Angeles and San Francisco are telling me that I need to, I, I shouldn't, I should stop farming almonds and citrus because, um, they're, it's water intense, but their swimming pool isn't water intense. Their green grass isn't water intense and, or we need to park this water so that they can fly over this area that looks like a bird refuge and they feel good about themselves. It, it just, it's Victor Davis Hanson talks about it. Devin Nunes has talked about it. It's just, there's, a, there's an absolute disconnect between the, the coast who generates just fake ideas and, and feel good legislation. And all it does is affect us here in this valley that are, you know, you know, gas prices being $4, that doesn't bother them. They put 20 miles on their car maybe a week, whereas I put 300 miles on my truck every day, and that costs a lot, that costs a lot to fuel, fuel it. Or those green energy programs that we have, it doesn't bother them. They live on the coast where it doesn't get above 100 degrees, and if it does, it's for three, four days, and they can live through it. Whereas we're living in 100-degree weather for four days or four months a year, and we need air conditioning, which takes electricity, and it's just, it's asinine, absolutely asinine how we can be governed by these people that all their decisions don't affect them nearly as much as they affect us. And then they wonder why their produce costs so much or why they can't find locally sourced oranges or almonds or whatever, because we can't afford to farm here because we, because we can't afford to farm here because of legislation and we can't, we, we don't have enough water to farm here because they've basically throwing it all out in the ocean. This is the, it, the water conveyance system in the state of California is the envy of the world, might be even the 10th wonder of the world, 
and we just we treat it like the redheaded stepchild. We don't take care of it. Yeah, I mean that's actually the, the phrase you just used. This water delivery system in California being the envy of the world. That's actually in um, some testimony that Friant Water Authority that Jason provided today. I, mean, I gave that uh, to Jason. I, I I let him use my. You let him use it. Yeah, yeah good. You gave him use some it. advice yeah. right before you went in. Council little, little little pep talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually going to read from his just two sentences or so from his testimony, but. Um, yeah, for, for more than 30 years, most decisions made and actions taken in Washington, D.C. and Sacramento have made the impacts of drought even worse and have turned a water storage and delivery system, which was once the envy of the world, into a confusing mess of regulations, laws, and contradictions. I mean, that's, I don't know, I don't know if the listeners are going to believe us, but I did not share this testimony with you before you spoke, um, but it, uh, it really underscores what you said or Jason said basically the same thing um, and that's all true um, this system I think what's most frustrating for people who follow this the closest is that the water delivery system which is a very um, um, sophisticated and complex system of canals uh, reservoirs um, and, and other facility pump stations and other facilities it's taken um, that, that, that system, which was originally designed to withstand up to five years, consecutive years of drought, if managed properly, it's basically rendered, um, it's, you know, begging for mercy after a year or two because people, you know, just can't fulfill its needs. And so it's, it, it is frustrating and, um, and it's challenging. Compounding all that is Sigma. Sigma is the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act that was passed by the legislature in 2014 and is being implemented now. Um, and you mentioned earlier in the previous segment that you're a board member in the, at the Eastern Thule GSA. The GSAs are the government agencies that were um, uh, created by the implementation of Sigma or the passage of Sigma. You are a board member of a GSA here, the Eastern Thule GSA, which is pretty large and comprises you know, some uh, community cities, irrigation districts, and some white lands, which are areas that don't have um, access currently to surface water. And- 56% um, white, white land. Yeah. So um, it's a very uh, critical um, geographic region in the Friant Division because it also happens to kind of sit right through the area of the Friant-Kern Canal, which we operate, which Friant Water Authority operates and maintains that is um, severely impacted and, and capacity constricted due to um, land subsidence. Um, I know it wasn't easy, but you know the Friant Water Authority and the Eastern Thule GSA board and staff and council had been working for, I want I think it was about 14 months to have a discussion about uh, what can be done to mitigate for um, future subsidence and future impacts on the canal. And we reached what I think is a landmark uh, and really historic agreement um, up in, uh, as we sit here today, no similar agreement has been reached anywhere else in the state between the operators of facilities and the GSAs surrounding those facilities to work together. That's, that's the key point about this. It's, it's to find a way to work together arm in arm in peace so that farming can continue within the GSA 
and that the Friant current, in our case, and that the Friant current canal can live up to its expectation, which is to deliver water to its contractors and beyond. So, um, why don't you, can you talk or walk the um, listeners through that process that we went through, um, that the Eastern Thule and the Friant Water Authority went through to reach uh, that historic agreement and um, kind of what challenges lie ahead there? Well, I'll, I'll start by saying the only saving grace of Sigma legislation is it allows local control of the implementation. So, assuming we do a decent job, the state will stay out of it. Um, but that threat is always there that, you know, we're from the government, we're here to help. And they're gonna, their one-size-fits-all approach would be devastating to any GSA, but especially the Eastern Thule GSA, just because of what it's comprised of cities, water districts, surface water districts, and uh, a, a very large white area of highly profitable crops that have been here for more than 50 years. So us working with the Front Water Authority to try and be, to allow us to continue to pump in the white areas while mitigating its effects on the Frank Kern Canal was a daunting task. I think I got some more gray hair out of it. I know Johnny did. Um, a few pounds too, I'm and sure. A few pounds. I'll, I'll blame my extra weight on that. Yeah, that's what, I'm blaming it on COVID in that. Right. Um, so it was trying to find the happy medium considering the Frank Water Authority comprises of four counties, five counties, with operators that are above the pinch point and below the pinch point uh, was probably the most difficult portion of the negotiations. Eastern Thule GSA, you know, bent over backwards as did Front Water Authority and we were able to come to an agreement, but just being able to get everybody at the table to realize that, look, it, it's not gonna be perfect for them. It's not gonna be perfect for us. Um, was a big, big lift. And so far, I think we've, we've I mean, it's going to need to be tweaked. It'll, everything needs to be tweaked. I mean, we, as I remind the constituents who call me every day complaining about something but the GSA, we invented this out of thin air. We were just given this basket case of parts and expected to build something out of it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a good point. This has never been done. Nothing, been done. nothing has ever... And you're asking a bunch of farmers, water district managers, all with certain interests to think outside of their zone and think of what's gonna be good for everybody. I mean, I'm a surface water grower and I personally own 20 acres in the white area. So I wore multiple hats and a lot of us wore multiple hats and it was it's just been, I mean, we came to an agreement, it's, We'll see if it works. Hopefully yeah. it does. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the same spirit that helped reach the agreement will be the same spirit that helps make sure the agreement works. Um, there yeah. are a lot of talented and thoughtful board members and district managers and staff um, who are dedicated to this. I mean, that's what an agreement, a mutual agreement is. I mean, everybody's everybody buys in and everybody um, has to be committed to the successful execution of the plan and the agreement. Um, but 
as you rightfully pointed out, much like how challenging it was to reach an agreement, there's going to be challenges with executing the agreement. But um, I just, I'm always, I'm kind of, I'm still at this point in awe of the fact that it got done. As I have conversations with um, water areas outside of the Friant Division with people, you know, the staff and directors and other people outside of the Friant Division, um, there's no discussion of this taking place anywhere else. Now, the, the government agencies love the idea that, that we were able to make this agreement. They think it's fantastic because then it, it takes something off their plate. They don't have to do it. Right. That, those are, you want to talk about inertia, um, you know, the, the, the bad or the, the, the options uh, for if a government agency gets involved and decides to tell you guys how you're going to arrest subsidence on the canal are all bad options, which is why reaching an agreement with Frank was is good for us and it's good for the, the government agencies because they don't have to come in and be and, and try to try to do that because they're you know just like they do in the Delta it would be one lever they have one idea about how to do it and that would yeah. probably be to sh- shut off the overpumping yeah that's not a workable solution for the valley we were trying to keep this economic engine running, not shut it off, not starve it of gasoline. It's uh, you know, that's that's the difference between finding a mutual agreement that we can all live with together versus, you know, having the government or Big Brother come in and enforce it upon you. So I, as challenging as it was, Matt, it was worth it. Yeah, I mean, the collateral the alternative is worse. The collateral damage from the state coming in, I don't think everybody realizes. You know, it would have been detrimental to Southeast Tulare County. I mean, just the tax basis alone, um, the communities of Terrabella, like where I live, uh, Ducor, City of Porterville, I mean, it's just, it just would have shut it down. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I'm thankful for your role. You, like you said earlier, you wore, you wear a lot of hats. And as we're just sitting here, I'm thinking about it between um, GSAs and, and Bryant and, and commodity group boards. I mean... I don't know how it is you actually work, but... Um, well, I, I just text my employee right now who lost his clutch cable on his tractor. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's... And here I am interviewing. And here, yeah, it's podcast, not... So. And I'm tied up at the moment. I'm but not helping. No. All right, well, we can end... Then let's end this segment here. I pre- that was a really good discussion, Matt. Thank you. I think the uh, listeners will love hearing that. Um, uh, and when we come back, we're going to lighten things up a little bit. Uh, you're listening to The Friant Watering Hole. I'm Johnny Amaral. I'm your host. I'm sitting here today in Porterville with Matt Leiter, our guest. See you on the turn. Welcome back to the Friant Watering Hole. Uh, You know, our first two segments with our guests, you know, sometimes you sit down next to somebody and you start talking and the time just flies by. Um, many times when I've sat with our guest, Matt Leiter, and started talking, the time flies by usually involves a few Michelob Ultras or some Kessler. Uh, and time just, and then it, you know, it stands still sometimes and who knows what happens, but um, uh, that was the case today. So um, the time just flew by. We went long on both our first two segments. So we're going to go in our last segment here right into uh, one of my favorite parts of this podcast, which is, as I mentioned in the first episode, a complete and total ripoff of Norm MacDonald. Norm MacDonald is a famous uh, actor and stand-up comedian, which is stand-up comedy is what he's most known for. 
Um, and we're going to rip off some Norm Macdonald jokes. We're going to see how funny Matt Leiter can really be. He thinks he's funny, but we're going to see if he uh, can deliver some Norm Macdonald jokes. So I'm going to start, Matt, so you get a little flavor for okay. what happens here. Remember, I just full credit where credit is due. These are Norm Macdonald jokes. I don't want to get busted for uh, stealing somebody's uh, jokes. These are Norm's jokes, and I'm sure hopefully he'll be, if he ever listens, he'll be happy that we're using it. So I'll start. This is actually appropriate for today's day and age. The Blue Man Group has been forced by the government to hire an orange man and a purple woman. <laughs> How fitting. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Okay, Matt, you're up. The man behind the voice of Tony the Tiger died at 64. His last words, I don't feel great. Well, you, you gave it a little there, but you, eh. probably, you probably could have given it a little more. But uh, since that was your first joke, we'll, yeah, let, we'll, was, we'll, we'll let that one slide right now. Pre-read read that one. Here's uh, the next one. Hey, Matt, you're not going to believe this, but Bill Maher, he's given away the solutions to all our problems, and it's free. <laughs> he That's does, a, you know, he's got an opinion and a solution for everything. I know. He's, he's the shell answer man. Generally unsolicited, too. So Alex Trebek, Alex Trebek set a Guinness World Record for the most game shows hosted. The previous record was nobody gives... Well, you... you Blocked out the punchline. Well, I mean, I can't. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Accurate. Very accurate. <laughs> All right, we're moving through here. We're going to go through them fast. Movie fans are now celebrating the 30th anniversary of Ghostbusters and are demanding a Ghostbusters 3. At least according to a homeless dude on my block who looks suspiciously like Ernie Hudson. <laughs> 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 he wants a Ghostbusters 3. The world's oldest man died yesterday. Cause of death, everybody yelled surprise. <laughs> that'll, that'll do it sometimes. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll happen. My buddy was recently diagnosed with shingles, which is a terrible sickness that usually only affects roofs. <laughs> such a, I mean, these are dad that's, jokes, right? That's norm such a jokes, Norm McDonald joke. The deadpan is missing from it, which makes, yeah, makes well. it funny. I heard that when Beethoven was 16, he wrote his first sym symphony. This is the kind of guy who makes you realize when, what an utter shame your life has been. When I was 16, I was in McDonald's saying, you want lids on these? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that was uh, Norm MacDonald. I think he ripped that off of somebody. Well, so. it says with David Letterman. Yeah. Is that what all those, I mean, they helped write that one? Yeah, he, has this, he had this show for a long time or for a while that he would have guests on and he would Right. You know, again, this part of the Friant Watering Hole podcast is a total ripoff of Norm Macdonald. Yeah, I mean, it is. A, I would say maybe it's homage to Norm. I think know, that's fitting. It's, it's honoring him. Okay, last joke, and then we'll, we'll let you get back to work to fix some clutch cables. But um, some biblical scholars now believe that Jesus Christ was married. They also believe he had the world's worst bachelor party. That's definitely a bachelor party I wouldn't want to go to. Guaranteed. Yeah. All right, Matt, on that note, thank you uh, for taking the time today. I know you've got lots of other things to do. Um, we appreciate our listeners, our growers, our constituents, everybody in the communities appreciate you taking the time to do this. Hopefully they uh, got a few laughs and learned a little bit. Uh, any last uh, parting words you want to provide? I just can't wait to hear the reaction of my fellow board members at the next meeting when they listen to this. Well, Assuming half the board is old enough or is young enough to know what a podcast is. Yeah, well, maybe we'll play it at the next board meeting. Oh, let's, not, let's not do that. For some comic relief. Yeah. So. 
All right. Well, thanks again, uh, Matt. I appreciate you, uh, you taking the time. Appreciate you having a light heart about this uh, and appreciate your insight. Uh, until next time, we'll see you on the turn.